In this episode, we speak to our brother Hashmat, who is a Hazara Australian person. He describes his story of moving to Pakistan and then Australia through escaping Afghanistan after the Civil War. We dive deep into his story and his family story, as well as the rich history of Hazara in Afghanistan. We also talk about the Australian identity and what it really means to be Australian and how can we progress and unite as a culture. I'm in the middle of it because that's been going on for a while now. Um, but prior to the, the big one that I was just telling you about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So look, I'm curious because you speak so many languages. You speak yeah. Farsi, you speak... Hazaragi? Yes. So there's a, probably a disclaimer to, to be made there. So Farsi is kind of the umbrella language and it has different dialects. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's three different dialects um, that kind of like the main dialects uh, that I speak. Hazaragi, Dari and Farsi, right? Mm-hmm. So all those, those three are basically the, the dialects of the same language, which is Farsi. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the, the thing is that over the course of history, those dialects have dramatically changed because they've borrowed words from other languages mm. um, and geographically being distant as well. So, um, you know, the speakers of those three dialects, mm-hmm. I guess. So it's, they've kind of evolved into these three new languages, I guess. Um, yeah, so those are the three. And then on top of that, I speak Urdu, which is mm-hmm. what they speak in Pakistan. Yeah. And that's because I lived there. Has it started, by the way, or just, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, there's uh, Urdu in Pakistan. Uh, I lived there for a few years, so I learned that. And then um, Hindi off the back of that because mm-hmm. it's so similar. Um, then I you know, started watching a lot of, you know, Bollywood movies and, <laughs> and you know, um, speaking, to, yeah, uh, <laughs> speaking to a lot of, um, you know, late night conversations in those taxis, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, so practice my <laughs> Hindi. Uh, and I've got a lot of Indian friends as well. Mm. So um, it's kind of like kept up the language uh, and in English, obviously. Mm. So kind of, you could say three languages, but you could also say five, depending on how you look at it. Mm. Depending whether you consider my Hindi good enough <laughs> to say, okay, you speak both Urdu and Hindi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you could just say, okay, just the Urdu and, you know, you're trying to speak Hindi. <laughs> so, so how would you say brother in all those languages? I know in Hindi it's and Urdu, in it's Bai. Bai, yeah. Bai is in, in Urdu and Hindi. Uh, in Farsi, it's brother. 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 Yeah, brother. <laughs> this is what I mean when I say those three dialects of the same language, mm. the differences, right? So I'll, I'll just um, say it to you. In Hazaragi, it's biror. 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 Which comes from the word brother, you know, it's just mm. a mm. shorter version of it. Bror. Bror, right? In um, Dari, it's brother, which is brother. the formal way of pronouncing that word. Mm-hmm. Brother. Um, in um, Farsi or the Iranian dialect, you could, there's a few words for it. You could say dodosh, which is like, like a, it's like bro in a way. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you say brother, they would still understand, yeah, because that's a formal mm-hmm. way of saying it. It's so incredible. And look, there's a magic in there because you're fascinated by languages as well, yeah. and I can see it. And you and I were colleagues in the youth led unit or, or known as Culture Spring now, right? But 
I think this, since the start, we've always admired the way that each other speak. Yeah. We just share so much love. We're like, oh, bro, I love the way you speak and yeah. <laughs> all that. <laughs> but I'm cool. very curious about your family history. because mm -hmm. You say mm -hmm. you're from the Hazara community from Afghanistan. Yeah. But you've lived in Pakistan and you've done a lot of travel. Yes. Haven't you? So take us back to the start. How... <laughs> How did Hash, Hashmat, Hashmat come to be and, and your family's history in Afghanistan and, and prior to that? Yeah, cool. It'd probably be a, a bit of a long, long uh, answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like you said, I belong to an ethnic group called the Hazaras or Hazaras. Um, we mainly reside in Afghanistan. So the majority of the Hazara people, um, those who identify as Hazaras are in Afghanistan. Um, you know, a few millions. And then, uh, you know, there is also Hazaras in Pakistan. There's a big community of Hazaras now in Australia. So Hazara Australians, um, you know, Europe and all that. So um, there's, there's a big population in Iran as well. Um, Hazaras, you know, we, there's, you know, I guess the, you know, the history of it all, if you look back is, there's different theories about how we end, uh, you know, how we ended up in Afghanistan, um, but yeah, so we we uh, we can probably dig into that a little mm. bit further. Uh, but uh, but just to sort of sum it up, yeah, so the Hazaras in Afghanistan um, are the third largest ethnic minority. Mm. Um, they they're just you know uh, sort of ethnicity-wise distinct, but also religious. Uh, beliefs um, to mm -hmm. the rest of Afghanistan, which has been one of the reasons behind the, mm -hmm. you know, centuries of persecution that they've gone mm -hmm. through. I've lived in Australia for about 12 years now. I came here as a teenager. Yeah, so Melbourne is home really for me now. So yeah, I'd, I'd say, you know, you're talking to a Melbourneian Hazara at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a huge community of Hazara in, in Melbourne. Absolutely. In particular. Yeah, huge. It's, it's grown it's grown quite significantly in the last uh you know five six years the or maybe ten years actually so the, I think the first group of Hazaras would have come here in the late 90s so 98 99 mm -hmm. um, as asylum seekers and refugees mm. uh, and then from there on you know there were more you know family reunions you know more migration obviously as the situation, you know, back in Afghanistan, got in worse. Where, got in, got in worse, and you know they had to actually flee for their lives. Mm. Um, so there is, there's been, there's been, you know, centuries of persecution against the Hazara people in Afghanistan mm. um, and Pakistan as well. Um, you know, where that's forced people to, you know, unfortunately, uh, leave their homes behind and have to migrate to, you know, other places. Obviously, there is. There's a positive sides to that because you know now nowadays there's Hazaras everywhere and you know they've established their lives and there's you know beautiful communities everywhere. But mm -hmm. the, the story behind story is quite sad because they were all forced to flee from their homes, really, um, you know, because of the persecution that they mm -hmm. went through. So you know, some call it genocide that they've they've gone through for for centuries. But why is that? Is it mm -hmm. because of religious differences then and? I guess it's a, it's a that question could you know it's, it's a really I guess broad question in a way as well hmm. because think about all the persecutions that all the ethnic groups face. What why is that right? Mm. Um, 
I guess it's uh, just uh, human beings. I guess you know they mm. they they're just crazy sometimes, and you know they don't like each other. I guess, um, but uh, but specifically about Hazaras. So the reason they're persecuted in Afghanistan is one they are believed by the majority ethnic group there, or you know the the rest of not all Afghanistan, but you know. Uh, a good portion of people there that they're not, they don't belong here. They're not, uh, they just migrated here or they, they took refuge here, I guess, and, and it's not their home, so they don't belong here. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's one. Um, but also um, racism, right? So, mm. uh, you know, thinking that Hazaras are not, um, you know, they're equal, I guess. Um, and also on top of that, there's the Shia sect of Islam is what, Hazaras mm -hmm. practice. Yeah. So there is two sects in Islam, Sunni and Shia. I'm not sure if, how much you guys know about this, but Hazaras are the Shia, which is um, again amongst the Muslim community, the minority, and then in Afghanistan, even the even a smaller minority. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the main two reasons, and then obviously there is geopolitical stuff going on, and you know obviously um, the geographical location of Afghanistan, and you know. Um, how that has been the center for so many powers from around the world to kind of like, you know, face each other. Mm. And then that's kind of added to that, uh, you know, um, to this and manipulating, manipulating like ethnic groups and putting them against each other. That's really my kind of take on this anyways, um, is that I think that people in Afghanistan are victims of powers, big mm. powers around the world, where this, this, that's really become the battleground for them for generations yeah it's i guess when you're saying it's a battleground it's yeah. it's sad because a whole population a whole people yeah for centuries and centuries have not felt psychological safety absolutely in their own home just crazy absolutely so like just to your point like in terms of it's not just obviously the the you know the, the physical safety of the people that suffer which is obviously the hardest one, but also the consequences of that for generations to come, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, even the children of Hazaras who were born and raised in Australia still feel the pain mm. of what their parents went through, right? So that's the psychological impact of mm -hmm. that that remains for mm -hmm. generations. Um, and I think I think what would be helpful is like to know, like uh, maybe a, a, a brief history of of um, how it all began in terms of how Hazaras started to get persecuted, if you don't, guys please, don't mind please, me yeah, like please, please, diving please. into that a little bit. So in the, so the common belief in Afghanistan is that um, Hazaras are the remainders of uh, the Mongolian army mm. that, that came and sort of conquered that region, Afghanistan being one of them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so this would have been about, what, seven, eight hundred, seven-ish hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and then when the Genghis Khan and the army left, um, the rem you know the remainders of the Genghis army is mm -hmm. who are Hazaras, which to an extent makes sense because there are uh, common futures mm. amongst Hazaras with Mongolians, right? Yeah. But but that's to a, to a huge extent a myth and, and something that that's not necessarily true because there are so many other evidence in Afghanistan to prove that Hazaras were here you know for thousands of years wow. mm -hmm. uh you know one being the the big buddha you know that they in there's a province in afghanistan central afghanistan called bamiyan 
which has uh, uh, the world's largest uh, Buddha, if I'm not mis- mistaken, mm. ever built in the history of humankind. It's a rock wow. carving. Rock carving. Isn't it? So wow. in, in the mountains, just, I don't know, thousands of years ago. Yes. Carving. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, man. So what what it, the history of that is that Afghanistan, when I was talking about strategically located, right? Like, you know, the reason it's, it is the battleground is because it's always been the link between Central Asia and the uh, the India, um, you know, the, like the Indian continent, continent right? Yeah. So um, Central Asia, that, and also Iran and, and Middle East to an extent as well. Um, and it was it's located right in the middle of Silk Road. How have you guys yeah, heard much about heard Silk Road? Yeah. yeah. So that was sort of the trade connection yeah. between the East and West, really, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And Bamiyan, this province, was right in the heart of that on the yeah. Silk Road. So obviously, this is you know a thousand a thousand years prior to Islam even. Yeah. So we're talking two three thousand years ago. Uh, that's when the Buddhas were built. Uh, so these huge tall um, Buddhas that carved you know um alongside a hill a rock mm. uh, that is unfortunately now destroyed uh yeah uh, but you know which there's, there's a story behind that too how it was all destroyed but that's in 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 the center of Hazarajat is what right. they call Hazarajat is mm. sort of the you know how you've got stands like Afghanistan mm. Tajikistan all mm. that um Jat kind of means that so it's the Hazaristan I guess or the mm. Hazarajat Hazaristan. yeah Kistan <laughs> so, means the land, the of, land, oh, yeah. land of, yeah. right? That those people, I guess, yeah. Right. So I Pakistan, land, land of, of the pa- <laughs> Pakistan is, is another, the, the Pak actually means clean. Clean. Yeah, yeah so the land of clean people is clean what, what that actually means, yeah. <laughs> or clean, uh, the land of clean, I guess. Right. Not, not, there's no peop- word people in there. But so the others, Pak right? means clean. Tajik, land of the Tajikistan. Tajikistan. Mm. Kyrgyzstan. Okay. So land of. Kyrgyz people. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And and so India could be called Hindustan. It is. It is called Hindustan. Yeah. It's called Hindustan as well. (laughs) The more you learn. The land of the Hindu people. (laughs) Yeah. So Australia could be Australistan. Australistan. Whiteistan. Watch out, man. That's funny. And so, yeah. Digging more about the the Bamiyan because yeah. it was destroyed by the Taliban. It got mm. shot at and destroyed. I think just yeah, the so they wouldn't be able to destroy it by just shooting at it. So I think oh. yeah, because these <laughs> these are like massive Buddhas that are carved, you know, in rock, right? Um, and it took Taliban, uh, you know, like proper effort yeah. and and having to bring like you know specialists in like explosions from all over you know from like around uh, in other parts of yeah. you know that that region to actually destroy this which is so sad because you know you're thinking of thousands of history right uh that's just destroyed yeah. and uh, you know the reason the reason that they claim that behind their obviously uh, atrocity there is that uh, you know but it's a land of Islam, Muslims, what is a Buddha mm. doing here, right? Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, being, I guess, you know, the, the, the Islamist, Islamist or the fundamental kind of way of thinking. But the rea- reality is that they wanted to destroy the history of Hazaras. They wanted to destroy the history of people that have lived in that region for, you know, thousands of years to basically 
try and diminish whatever evidence there is to prove that these are indigenous people of that land um, to further support their claim that they are not they don't belong here they are mm-hmm. members of uh, of of, uh, of an invading army um, and that you know this is not their home mm-hmm. so that's really the, the real reason behind why they destroyed this um, and also to to remove you, th- you 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 could imagine that this could be potentially be like the the, the heart of tourism and you know yeah. so many people from around the world wanting to go and see these um, Buddhas right which the the like of which doesn't exist anywhere in the world right mm-hmm. we, we uh, you know that could help the local economy so much mm-hmm. and 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 really be uh, you know providing an environment that that could help the Hazara people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where this is their heartland, right? So destroying, taking that away from them, so um, there is no hope of economy mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. boosted in that region. You know, obviously destroying their history, um, all that. Yeah. So it's really, it's really because of the persecution and the hatred they have towards the Hazaras and they have towards the Hazaras now, still to this date, that they destroyed it. Mm. But yeah, so that's a big um, evidence to prove that that there were. Um, people like the Hazaras or the Hazaras, you know, some of the Hazaras that are indigenous people of that land and have been there for thousands of years, they might have been mixed with other races that have, you know, passed through this region, like the Mongolian army, right, or or, or other Central Asians. Mm-hmm. Like, very interesting. I was I was I was traveling through Thailand and I met all these people from all the Istan countries, like mm-hmm. Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, all that. Did did we look quite similar, right? Mm-hmm. Like I. I could pass as someone from Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan and vice versa, right? Yeah. I was just telling you that you could pass as a Hazara, <laughs> you know? So so it makes sense that that uh you know there would have been other migration throughout that region. Yeah. Uh, and people w- have been mixed with Hazaras. Hazaras might not all come from one route. Yeah. But but there are part of the you know Hazaras or you know some of the Hazaras who definitely are or probably the majority that are the that have been there for thousands of years and that's their home. Hmm. So funny you mentioned that that I could pull off or pass <laughs> as a Hazara, yeah, right? Sure. When I was in Pakistan, yeah. I think I was in Karachi at the time, so south of the country. And some guy was talking to me, he's like, are you from Afghanistan or are you, are you from Gilgit? Like <laughs> Gilgit, yeah. The north, north of Pakistan, yeah. close to the Chinese border because he looked at me, he looked at my eyes, obviously, yeah. and he's like, we got the same eyes. <laughs> was he? Did he? Did and he look? He said had he Asian from, features. Yeah, something? he had Asian features, and he said, "Look, I'm from Afghanistan." Mm. And he, now knowing, he must have been Hazara, Hazara yeah. man. Yeah, or or an or an Uzbek as well. Uzbek also have Asian features as well, so they're they're um, a fourth ethnic mm-hmm. minority in Afghanistan, uh, but quite likely Hazaras. Yeah, because you look more Hazara than than you look Uzbek, in my opinion. So the funny thing about being Asian is. You've got an Asian radar, right? right? Yeah, do you yeah, have yeah. that as well? So, can you tell? Oh, that person is Chinese, or you can make safer assumptions. Uh, you yeah. can make assumptions. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, they look Korean or Vietnamese <laughs> or yeah. Hazara. Now I can even tell that now. Yeah, <laughs> having lived in Australia amongst the Asian community yeah. and having a lot of friends from so many different Asian backgrounds, like you know Chinese, Vietnamese, mm-hmm. all that, I can actually tell between the difference between most of most of yeah. Asians. Even the Australian raised and born Asians, mm-hmm. like I yeah. can still tell. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, which is interesting, right? 
but yeah, going back to Hazaras, mm. right? Like, I think one of the reasons you would have been picked as Hazara or or someone from Afghanistan in Pakistan is because there is actually a huge uh, influx of migrants mm. coming into Pakistan from Afghanistan and because it's on the border, right? Right. There's also Pakistani Hazaras too. So there is, um, yeah, there's a quite quite a uh, you know um, uh, quite a uh, noticeable or. Um, uh, population or group of people in Pakistan that, that are also Hazaras. They would have migrated there, I think, in the last two, three hundred years, maybe. So tell me about your time in Pakistan. You lived there for a couple of years. Yes, I did. Maybe after that, that phone, phone goes off. Really... Sorry, guys. That's okay. Just some interruption. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay it's all good now. Yeah, Pakistan. So I was born in Afghanistan during the civil war, okay, uh, in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. This is the bloodiest war that Afghanistan has ever experienced mm -hmm. in its history. Um, right before the takeover of Afghanistan or the complete takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban, the first time they came around. This Right now they're in control again, yeah. Yeah. but this is the first time they came. Um, so around that time I was, I was born and, you know, um, oh, sorry, I was born during the civil war and then kind of like they, as I was, you know, a few years old, mm -hmm. Taliban managed to take over the entire Afghanistan, which forced my family, being a Hazara, to flee. Wow. So become refugees. Yeah. We uh, went to Pakistan and that's where I, I lived for a few years, early, early uh, years of my life. We, one of the reasons I speak Urdu is also because like, yeah, it mm -hmm. was, I was kind of raised there for a few years. I went to primary school in Pakistan yeah. too. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a tough time, man, for the family, for sure. Because mm. we, you're thinking, you know, we're, I'm part of a big, massive family. So I've got a lot of siblings. How many? <laughs> I'm one of nine. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're one of family. nine. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Well, you yeah, don't hear of that much no, in no. a modern context, especially in an Australian context. Yeah, no, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one of nine. Where are you on the <laughs> I'm second youngest. Uh-huh, ah, the baby. The baby. And the, <laughs> the sister, but yeah, it's uh it was int interesting to be raised in a massive family like that. Um, pros and cons for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so escaping from Afghanistan yeah. in the mid nineties? Late nineties? Yes, mid nineties. Your parents, one and nine children. Yes. Fled. Yeah. The dad was in as an dad we didn't even know where dad was so dad was at the time he was um he was in the north of afghanistan doing um uh so he was you know part of a uh, you know uh, he's he's got a background of himself in terms of working in the government administration in afghanistan so mm -hmm. he was he was a, a known person i guess in the community and and there was a lot of risks associated with being that being a hazara known person in the community mm -hmm. you're kind of the first target yeah um and at the time he was in the north of afghanistan for work and we were separated geographically separated from from him meaning and and, and this is a time where like there's no you know telecommunication yeah. there's there's nothing so there's no way of actually knowing whether yeah. like, he's alive or not yeah he was in Mazari Sharif, which was which is um, uh, an area where, right around that time, was a huge massacre that happened uh, against Hazaras. So these thousands of Hazaras were massacred by the Taliban, and my dad was in that. In that. So we didn't know whether whether he's alive or not. And this is the rest of the family who who 
who were forced to flee and went to into Pakistan. Yeah. So and then obviously growing up in Pakistan and the family, you know, as undocumented refugees, I guess, because yeah. you mm-hmm. just cross the border and you're just running for your life. Mm. Um, yeah, I lived there for you know a, a few years until the fall of, fall of Taliban again in tw- 2001. Yeah, mm. that's when we returned back. So um, yeah, it was safe enough, relatively safe for the family to go back. Um, then life kind of like took took a turn, and it was, it was a couple of you know easier lot easier. Mm-hmm. Years of 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 me growing up there, um, you know, getting ex- learning a bit of English and you know going to school and all that, getting the early sort of education, mm-hmm. until um, I came to Australia in two thousand and eleven again. So t- so lived in Afghanistan again for about nine years or so after we returned. But where did you land in in Pakistan with English? your family? Oh, sorry, where did I? Yeah, in was- Pakistan, where. Peshawar. Peshawar. Yeah. Okay, right ar- across the border. Right across the border. So was there a lot of Hazara their community with you and going Refugees. to school as well were you yeah. did you feel different in a yes. brand new land and how were the people were they, were they welcoming yeah. did you get bullied for being Hazara yeah. or anything like that yeah for sure. look it's a, it's a interesting question because um, it, it makes me kind of like takes me back to to those years and you know uh, it, and especially now you know, having lived the life I've lived and where I am and to just really think about those years. Um, yeah, so racism was a big thing for sure uh, because we, again, looking, when you look so different to everyone else around you yeah. and you're one of the very few or maybe sometimes the only one, you, you're you obviously going to be uh, picked on, right? Yeah. Um, Especially if you're in an environment where there's kids and you know, the, you know, the, that that's there's more risks of that. So in in primary school for sure, I was the only uh, only child that looked different to everyone else, um, which was an interesting year or so. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously it was it wasn't a fun time for me in in <laughs> primary school. Um, but generally, I think because we are refugees and living in Pakistan, you know, we are undocumented. There is always the risk of being deported back to yeah. Afghanistan. So, you know, you, it's it's not an easy life, man. You know, I, I for me, it wasn't it wasn't too bad because I'm just a child, and you know, I don't really feel it the way everyone else or the adults in the family mm-hmm. felt. But yeah, I know for a fact that, you know, everyone else had it tough for sure. Mm. But because we are a strong family and, you know, we, there's a lot of us. Mm. So labor was there, right? Like work, we had a workforce to be able to actually, uh, you know, bring food to the table, which was through rag making. Mm. Yeah, so my family made rags. So a lot of these beautiful handmade rags you see probably in the Western world, yeah. you know, they would have been... It would have been, uh, you know, um, made by people like my family who lived oh. um, in Pakistan as refugees, and that was their means of um, bringing food to the table. Um, yeah, so beautiful rags. Yeah, um, and you would have to hustle day and night just to get yes, rugs out, and it's a whole family business by the mm. sounds of it. <laughs> well, I don't know if business is <laughs> the, the right word for it, but it was really enough to kind of like, uh, you know. It, survive really mm. get uh, food on the table yeah eat the food next pay it's, rent, yeah. living, pay rent. it's hand to mouth right exactly mm. especially yeah. um having lived like living in a society where like you know 
it's so different to where you come from. Now there's electricity and gas and bills and water mm. bills and rent and and all that so that you have to pay for. And being undocumented doesn't help because you probably don't get best prices there, right? You yeah. know, what I mean? like as a summer, you know, you're being you you're basically given an opportunity to to live there, and you know, you all you need all you can do is is work really hard so mm. you can earn enough to cover your expenses. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my most of my siblings and uh, so family would would have worked 15, 16 hours a day, mm. making rugs six wow. days a week. Sheesh! And did you? get reconnected with your father yes yes so yeah dad then we've he managed he basically escaped so he managed to <sighs> escape from the massacre yeah. uh yeah walked for days in the mountains oh my god yeah wow. um yeah so that's a, that's a story in itself that's crazy. um yeah so he managed to basically flew flee and get to um get to join us in pakistan wow. yeah did he ever share that story with you like in detail or he is i i've never actually uh, i've never actually sat down and had a really deep conversation mm. with him about this because it's probably is not like it's not easy for him to have that yeah. those conversations Mm-mm. um but yeah i've heard bits and pieces mm. here, here and there about about his escape um yeah, yeah maybe one day i'm yeah. encouraging him to actually <laughs> write a book about it that would be amazing mm. yeah he's a poet a writer wow and uh yeah, so it's, he's the right guy for yeah, it. I think definitely. he really needs to write his story. I'm curious to ask, like, you know, you're reflecting on the past and your experiences. Like you said, you when you were a kid, you couldn't really understand what was going on and yeah. how everyone was feeling. But yeah. now that you're an adult, yeah. how does it feel, you know, looking back and just reimagining and putting yourself in that position yeah. again? A very good question. It's hard because obviously there's so much that happens mm. every day um, that occupies you yeah, obviously with, with, with that and, and, and life changes, right? Mm. When, when life changes, you change and yeah. you evolve, your mm. emotions change. You become a different person you know, every day basically. Mm. Um, so it's f- for me, it's, r- it's not easy to even think about it or, mm. or, or even, f- even remember how I felt. Right, because it's so so distant. Yeah. The memory is so distant. Mm-hmm. But I know it wasn't it wasn't easy because yeah, so there is there, there are memories or you know, not easy memories to, to even Of course. So I think my mind probably like sometimes even like just blocks it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people that's their sort of coping mechanism, I think. To just kinda of like, you know, with the past you kinda of forget about it, of do you course. know what I mean? Or intentionally yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um I guess my mind maybe that works out. I don't know about others, but yeah. So it's hard for me to even imagine myself yeah, yeah. being there anymore because I've lived here for a while now, mm-hmm. um, and I've got a very different life now, mm. <laughs> and and that's also contributing as well. Yeah. But it's the stories of migration, of refu, being a refugee and being an asylum seeker, the ripple effects of that trauma to escape, to bring mm. nine of your kids across a border. And that would have been, how, how long would that journey have been from your hometown to Landy Peshawar? A few hours, maybe maybe like a, look, the, the, the kilometer was not much, but mm. you, you're talking about fleeing for your, 
for your lives where like there's every you know hundred few hundred meters there's a taliban checkpoint mm-hmm. you know you, the cars would have been like really old and yeah. you know slow and the roads would have been in really bad condition mm-hmm. and uh so i think it would have would have taken them like a day or two mm-hmm. um yeah i don't remember much because I, I was really young mm-hmm. but returning back i do remember it um in 2001 i believe yeah that's uh yeah so I, by then the road would have you know developed mm-hmm. and, and taliban had gone um so the journey back would have, have i guess t- t- took us less i think it maybe like at least 10 12 hours i think of, of the total arab journey mm-hmm. um yeah but the, yeah 12 hours you know if would have taken them a day or two would have been a day or two of hell i guess yeah <sighs> And what triggered the move back? So to, Pakistan, to Afghanistan. To Afghanistan, because you've you've gone out to escape and you've set up yeah. a new life. Yeah. But you realized Peshawar wasn't, or your family you realized. You haven't really set up a new life because you're just living there. Undocumented. Undocumented. No, no permission to go to school. You can't officially formally work there. You mm-hmm. got uh, any chance of being caught and being deported back to Afghanistan? And there is how do you? how can you ever settle in a situation like that right so this and this is not your home right so you we always knew that we got to get out of there somehow mm-hmm. we just didn't have the hadn't had the opportunity yet then afghanistan uh, the 9-11 happened right yeah um and then the so the u.s invaded afghanistan and pushed the taliban back and yeah. with the local uprising took control of afghanistan again and yeah. established a new government right mm-hmm. So, and then they said, "All right, everybody, everybody is welcome back." So, relative democracy, I guess. Um, so that kind of enabled, uh, you know, all all uh, refugees Afghan uh, from Afghanistan to return back, including my family. Um, yeah, so we just wanted to go back home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and then just when we went back in a few years, it was it was, it was all right, and but then. Just, same thing slowly yeah. started to get worse again mm. um the the second time i actually came to australia on a student visa so initially i just wanted to come and study here um uh, but yeah once i got here then the situations in afghanistan started to get worse and worse and worse so that slowly made the situation too hard, difficult for my family to stand we slowly brought them over here mm-hmm. yeah so uh yeah now everyone is in, in melbourne were you uh, the first one in Second one, no, my my brother came in the around the same time that we went back to you know how I told you that we were basically waiting for an opportunity to get out of mm-hmm. Pakistan, right? One avenue that we that my brother took upon himself was to get out and and, and enable the f- enable a situation for the family to yeah. to to get out, and and he actually came to Australia as a, as a um, refugee himself. Mm. Um, so he was here already dealing with with all these freaking tpv and all that back Mm. then too in the early 2000s because we australian government had a similar similar policy against the asylum temporary protection visa Mm -hmm. so where you know there's just been a great news lately that there's an Mm. avenue for them to get permanent visas but so this is about (laughs) about what i'm talking about now but my brother would have dealt with this 20 years ago uh same thing so that that meant that the, his future was really unknown and yeah. he was just dealing with that himself. But my family, we were able to return. Mm. Uh, but yeah, from then on, um, yes, yeah, so I was the second person to come 
a few years later. Um, yeah, we, the family was still okay living there because, you know, they had just returned home and they were hoping that Afghanistan is rebuilt again. Mm. Uh, but obviously that wasn't the case. There's always a hope and a romanticism of your homeland yeah. as well that that things will get better. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm struggling to even deal with this word homeland, to be honest, because, mm. um, you, you know, someone who was was forced to to live there when I when I was four or five years years old, then had like an opportunity to come back for to live there for a few years, mm. and then come to Australia and raised here. Like, if you were in that situation, like, where would you where would be where where would home be for you? Yeah. Right. So well, and that's why like I'm like homeland. We're right. Like it's I don't I don't know if if I can call Afghanistan homeland anymore for myself. Right. Mm. Probably family would be different. Mm. I still love, you know, the culture, the people, you know, and I think it is, it is and it's incredibly misrepresented mm-hmm. in in the West, um, and it's the only image that people have about Afghanistan is, you know, big turban, long beard with a gun, you know, just be. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about vast majority of people. Uh, I'm sure not everyone. <laughs> but it's not true right this yeah. culture this history there is there is this man like a book i'm reading these days called the lost enlightenment it talks about um the the lost enlightenment in that region right so mm. uh not just afghanistan central asia and you know all that region Iraq, you know Syria. The, yeah the amount yeah. of of wisdom and knowledge and and all that that were there mm-hmm. during a time where like you know there wasn't much uh, anywhere else in the world really including the west right so it would have been the the, the center of civilization and you know and, and research and you know a lot of these uh and i highly encourage anyone to, to listen to this book it's it's incredible um or listen or read i'm listening to it on on, on uh, audiobook because it's easier <laughs> uh, but yeah so it's so this is the history of it yeah. which is unfortunately not not what you first think of when you hear the word Afghanistan, which mm. is sad, right? Yeah. But the region is the center of science for the world for so long. I think mathematics but was all born there. Was born there and you've got libraries and and culture of of learning in Astronomy areas like as well. Damascus, in Baghdad, all those regions. Absolutely. Right? And all the rich libraries that have mm. been burnt down. Yes. <laughs> over the centuries. Yeah. And it it's sad. seems like people, for the control of power, for oppression, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. likes to burn knowledge, burn history, yeah, shoot down sad. history, bomb yeah. history. Yeah. So what we're talking about now is, is just very, an ugly part of of human nature, the ugliest. Yeah. Mm. So true. Yeah. Isn't so it? sad. Yeah. And and to, and and it's the human side is is often neglected when these atrocities happen around the world like i hear on the news often when when all these so-called um so-called i don't know what under another word like the people that like go on tvs and talk about stuff and they think they're experts what, what would you call them what are they uh, i don't know speakers i guess yeah, <laughs> yeah speakers <laughs> yeah. so they they you know the experts of of that region i guess you mm. know so they talk about foreign you know, correspondents foreign correspondents mm. and this yeah, and that yeah, yeah. and when they talk about about you know why 
was the US involved in all this and who the Taliban are and what happens to, you know, I'm like, it's, it's so sad when, when, when you th talk about all that, but you often neglect the human side of it all yeah. is that people like me, right? Generations and generations of people, you know, that have, have nothing to do with any of this. And they were just, uh, you know, forced to be in that, you know, stuck in, in the middle of all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just really sad. And and to think about what's happening to Afghanistan right now, mm. like you guys would would know about the recent withdrawal yeah. mm -hmm. of the US. Yeah, tell us about yeah. it. So, so in 2021, I think, uh, August 21, I think, mm -hmm. that's when the US, after 20 years of being in Afghanistan, just packed up and, yeah. and, and left everything behind, um, which obviously caused you know, uh, you know the, the huge influx of people wanting to like run away and of get course. out of the country. Um, all that happened, you know, and they, which enabled the Taliban to come and take over again. So yeah. back to ground zero, back to where my family was forced to flee in in the mid nineties, mm -hmm. um, which is yeah, which is just crazy to think about people like children. Who I it often reminds me. Okay, there's, there's children like you yeah. right now in there that you felt you know you know what I was going through twenty years ago. Mm. That people that are going through it right now, and the Taliban have have taken control, and now they've uh, you know they've banned. Obviously, persecution is is going on, but they've banned um, girls from attending school. What? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't even want to talk about it because it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just yeah, it's yeah, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Does that inspire you to bring change? Does it inspire you to use your energy, use your experience, your lived experience of mm -hmm. escaping oppression? Yeah. And you've come to a, an Australia where it's being redefined as, as your new home, yeah. right? The heart, your heart is in Melbourne, in Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's what's, what that has done, I think, to me is... Um, it's just been a, a remarkable educational experience of who I am as a human being and how I feel about not just the Hazaras, not just the, not just the people from that region, but about humanity, right? Yeah. So, how, you know, what I feel and how I feel about humankind in general, mm -hmm. right? I, I think beyond, that's why when I, before when you told me about homeland, right? Like it's really d difficult for me because to me, like I, my mind nowadays just goes a lot beyond us, you know, geographical borders of mm. a location to think, oh, this is your home, right? Like when I think about humanity, I think about the planet. I think about, about everyone, right? Like yeah. uh, no matter where we where we're on the corner of this world we live in. So I think it has had to do, the upbringing, the, the experiences that I've had, like having been a refugee, you know, in, in the early 90s or mid 90s, um, and how you know, and and then having to migrate to Australia and you know lived here, and obviously those experiences, the persecution that my family and I felt, I think it's just been like this journey of education and learning and 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 really shaping who I am as a person now, which mm -hmm. is really to to bring change, you know, to your point about, you know, wherever I can positive change in, in anyone's yeah. life, right? Like sometimes I just sit down at a, in a bar and talk to someone about something and, mm. and in a few hours and I, you know, like 
you know, I feel like okay, this this there's a lot of knowledge that we can share here and that I've that I've actually like information that I've passed on that mm. has really changed someone's opinion about probably about someone from the region that I come from, which you know, you know, something like that. It's easier as simple as having a conversation yeah. with someone, really. Like if I can just change that and I, th- I think you know I've uh, you know I've done part of what I, what what I want to do right mm. it's like small small mm. steps small bit small changes of course that's what makes me the happiest really like yeah. you know this conversation really yeah. like you know something like this where um we're just you know obviously passing information that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be you know, you wouldn't be exposed to it, really, like, you know, unless you mm. met someone that mm. had this experience and went through all this. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So you guys are part of CMY and the youth-led unit. Yes. So how do you want yeah. to create impact and change? Um, yeah, good question. So, yeah, me and Liam, we are part of the Committee of Management for mm. a youth-led unit, which um, is basically... A, bunch of young people mm. uh, you know visionary young people that are you know wanting to to create meaningful change mm. in our society yeah in australia melbourne and and, and beyond um and i think the what where we're still in the early sort of stages of, of, of all this i think we're really harnessing to to his to his point, always uses this word harnessing each other's energy, and and really like, um, like the 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 vision or the the long term goal is being mm. embedded amongst us. I think it's it's early stages, mm. but my personal opinion is that 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 we are you know the, whether within this group or broader or is to to create. Awareness mm. um, amongst the wider Australian society, um, build bridges mm. amongst communities, yeah. um, and and you know create love, of course, where where you can. So, and I think the the opposite to everything that we in terms of you know the persecution, the hardship, all that that we discussed, the opposite to all that is love, mm. I think, in, in mm. amongst human humanity. Yeah. yeah. And as long as we can create that love and care, um yeah. it, it it is it's a solution to a lot of a lot of, of you know, those, those problems, I guess. So yeah. yeah, that's uh that's really how I envision it. But in terms of practical stuff, I think it's yeah, this is there's a lot there's a lot going on. Like you know, for instance, I one point that I always uh, talk to to you guys is the lack of connection between small communities mm. and the uh, small community organisations and the and some of the broader community mm. organisations that have been established in Australia yeah. for a little while. You know, so these obviously the community organisations you know are there to help the communities and connect and do all this community work. Mm. But sometimes I think it's it's the smaller community organizations that are that are true representation of the people of those people. Like let's say the Hazara, there's so many community organizations amongst mm. the Hazara people in Australia. Yeah. They hardly have any like they hardly are even known by the bigger community organizations, mm. right? I think that's where the meaningful change can really happen, right? Because they understand those communities better than mm. anyone else. Like yeah. if you're trying to help those communities, the best way is to actually work with these 
commu- small community organizations that are doing that voluntarily anyways mm-hmm. um so i think that's really like s- something that i want to of course a point that i want to start yeah and then we yeah, will see where it this takes us yeah, yeah. but yeah big visions for sure mm. it's similar to the okiru journey mm. i would say we are young people with a lot of energy that is yearning and desiring change mm. change in the way that we connect with the world around yeah. us to focus on i guess our experiences and our journeys to create better for ourselves mm. and, and everyone around us So that could all sound like a lot of nothing for some people, mm. right? <laughs> But the feeling is that we are building something that's greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. But at the same time we are building ourselves up. Yeah. Yeah. As well yeah. the the capability building, the capacity building. Yeah. to inform ourselves to really broaden our horizons yeah. and and add more skills to the table yeah. so that we are in a better position to help us Mm-hmm. help change the world help make it a better place yeah. by nice. making it more inclusive mm. yeah so welcoming different voices different people of different backgrounds yeah it's amazing i i really admire you guys for for doing the the work that you guys do in Thank here you. in Akira first of all i love the branding and <laughs> the, the, it's it's just uh, like the name is so catchy is uh, yeah so the first, as soon as i saw it i'm like i want to check this out what is this all about you know not even knowing it's it's a podcast right <laughs> Um but yeah look the 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 intention behind it all the visions that you guys have for it uh and also taking it like very easy in terms of in terms of really like really thinking okay we, this is a process of of us building ourselves up right in the process of trying to help our community our yeah. people and, and providing a platform for you know for people to come and 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 you know talk <laughs> and you know tell the people how they feel and who they are and exactly. you know what they are and what they believe and i think uh, yeah that's it's uh, it's a gap i think mm-hmm. in the amongst the multicultural community in australia mm-hmm. uh, among among australians in general like this was not a lot of like not a not that i know of of of, of you know platforms or podcasts mm-hmm. where you know um it's le- it's it's a lot more common in the us and you know i think um from from my experiences So I think for sure yeah this is a gap for it in the community and it's great. Thank I you. like it. Yeah. All we're doing is we're just having a yeah. yarn. Exactly. Right? That's, we're that's just having podcast. a chat. That's what podcast is. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're just having a yarn. We just yeah. want to hear your story because it's so mm-hmm. different from each and our upbringings. Exactly. As well. So there's a thread there. Mm. We spoke about homeland and, and the feeling of home mm-hmm. but geographically home as well but We've heard your take. I'm curious about Jasper as well. What does home mean <laughs> to you? Is it a region? Is it a feeling? Yeah, well, that's a great question, you know. I think we've having this conversation there's everyone has their own perspective of what home is, right? Sometimes it's it's where you're born, where you're brought up. Sometimes it's that chosen home, right? Like for yourself you've you didn't find I I guess Afghan your homeland, right? But now you're finding Melbourne as your home mm. is that correct yeah. i think it's it's probably like the maybe the village that i was born in and like that region mm. and all that like it still gives me home right homeland feeling if when i'm there when not the last time i was there but but i think melbourne is more home for me mm. now just because i've 
I've lived here for 12 years and you know that's kind of, of been course. most crucial years of my life of, yeah. of who I've become yeah. so I think I, I feel more home in Melbourne mm. than anywhere else yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, but I understand sort of your point of view as well it's like not limited to geographical yeah. location right necessarily yeah, yeah. And is I that what you're trying to say or uh, <laughs> well like what i'm trying to get at is mm. your everyone's perspective of home is different mm. right and i guess for me home is that feeling of safety where i find mm. peace where i can really be who i am a place where you feel nurtured as well mm. right there's times when i considered what my parents place not as home because i didn't feel nurtured i didn't feel mm. safe but building that relationship, relationship, I can call it another mm -hmm. home, right? Yeah. I, I call my home home right now is with my my partner where we live, right? That, that's mm -hmm. my home. I call I can call uh, Malaysia second home as well mm -hmm. because I felt nurtured, I felt at peace, I felt mm -hmm. I felt safe. Yeah. Right? So I guess for me, home is where I feel safe. Yeah. Where I feel at peace, where I can feel I can be myself. Mm -hmm. Home felt like jp's house because yeah. i felt at home there my, my one of my best mates mm -hmm. I, I felt like home there because i felt nurtured i felt at peace i felt safe yeah anywhere i feel at peace where i feel safe i, mm. I can call home so i guess yeah. really like home is that feeling for me yes i attach that for me now that makes sense mm. where where would be where would home be for you i always come back to footscray <laughs> all right that's the geography because look i was born and mm. raised here yeah. In in Sunshine Hospital, actually, which is what stones throw away from here. Yeah. But Footscray, I just remember old memories of mm. me and my mum, my sister and, and my next door neighbour, actually, just taking the bus out and cruising around, walking around, getting with me, mm. getting iced coffees or, or sugar cane drink, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, and I've travelled the world. I've been to Pakistan and Iran and, and all these far-fetched places. But every time I come back here, I do feel just the feeling of belonging. Mm. And the magic of Footscray is that it's so welcoming mm. as well. There's each wave of migration, Footscray becomes a home to yep. a new population mm. from your Europeans. Mm -hmm very early on in the, in the 60s to mm. your Vietnamese and mm -hmm. your Indian and, and African communities mm -hmm. as well. Like I can go to any place there and start speaking Vietnamese to yeah. the, the store owners or the store yeah. assistants. And, mm -hmm. and that feeling for me is the, the ability to connect mm -hmm. in a way beyond the surface level mm. as well. And mm. that's what home feels to me. Mm. Right. But beyond that, I can go to India and I could feel at home. Mm. I think it's my ability to find that safety yeah. very quickly mm. and to be able to adapt to new worlds, to pick up a language and mm. go, hey, baya, ek chai. Yeah, see, that's the thing though, like about, about humankind, right? Like this um, feeling of 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 belonging right to an to a geographical place or to, to an area or to a mm. place that you would have been raised or you're you know you just happen to be born in where you're born right and yeah. that happens to become your home but when you really think about it like i think we're so adaptable so if, you know uh, as human beings we have to be right when you think about human evolution of how we got to where we are obviously that's we had to we have had to be been you know adaptable right to mm. To, to wherever you we 
we are, I guess, that's similar to what you said, like, I, no matter where in the world you are, you know, uh, and similar to what you said, as long as you've got peace, mm. um, it does become your home, which is, I think, the main reason Melbourne is now has become home for me. Um, I, I live in Carlton North, which is one of the most beautiful spots, I think, in Melbourne. So I, I can't complain about <laughs> about anywhere else being my home than that Rathan Street where I live in, you know, it's like... The, the 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 place every every time I go overseas and come back mm-hmm. and just doing I have to do the drive from the beginning of Ratna until the end and just you know think to myself be like okay it's this you know you're just feeling you're feeling blessed mm-hmm. for for um, having what I have and living where I live especially coming from the background that I come mm-hmm. from and, and and knowing that all of this could not be there yeah. in a split of a second. Um, so just living in that moment, taking it all in, mm. yeah. Uh, so yeah, home, home is anywhere you want it to be home, yeah. really, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. And how would your parents answer that question? Oh, definitely Afghanistan for them. Mm-hmm. Definitely their village um, and the places they've been. Like mum always, like the an hour of conversations with mum, you know, 40 minutes would be about about Afghanistan, you know, like it's um, mm-hmm. you know, upbringing, life, everything they know, everything they love. Um, you know, obviously families here, but in terms of friends and you know, upbringing, all that, mm-hmm. the lifetime was 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 spent there, built there. So um, their life was built there. So yeah, for them it would be it'd be for sure Afghanistan. Yeah. And how would you articulate that feeling? Because yes, they've been brought up there. It's their connection to that land mm-hmm. as well and for many generations mm-hmm. i'm assuming right yeah and so once that's taken away from you and the feeling of romanticism of the land that you can no longer access mm. as well it's the, the poignant feeling of it's it's a bit sad but is there a hope that she can return there mm. yes, look you know, you, you never say never, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, hoping that that Afghanistan is safe enough for for um, us to even, even if I want to just go travel, you know, and go yeah. visit, even if we don't want to go live there, but having the freedom to an access mm-hmm. because we still have house, home and land and everything there. Um, uh, so, yeah, I hope one day she can for sure. Um, but... Uh, you know, just in terms of of homeland, like my dad, for example, is. I was telling you that he's a poet. Like he was just showing me a poem the other day that he wrote about the village that we're from, called Sarchishma, which means spring, mm-hmm. like spring where the water comes out, like mm-hmm. that spring. Um, and and it's a beautiful mountainous um, valley, um, like it's, it's a valley basically, it's three four valleys, but one main valley. Um, it's just magical. Have you been to um, North Island in in New Zealand? No, not yet. So is it North or South South Island? Sorry, South Island. Yeah, it's very similar region to South Island of New Zealand in terms of the the, the nature there. Uh, and he was he has written a poem and he was just reading me that poem and I, through those it's in Farsi, right? Mm-hmm. And the, through the poem, I could I could feel like you know how much love and care yeah. that he's got for that place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and basically, in a way, the poem was really surround, surround, it surrounds the his his you know feeling of 
you know, it's him basically missing, you know, his homeland or that where he's from and, you know, praising the beauties that it has and mm-hmm. that, and how, how destiny has separated them both. It's kind of a bit of a roomy kind of roomy and Shams kind of like. I was thingy. about to say, <laughs> because Farsi yeah. has a long history of incredible poets. Absolutely. Right. And Rumi is like one, just one of the biggest names. Central Asia. So this, uh, it's obviously, uh, the the lost enlightenment that I was telling you about a big part of it is focused around the the um, philosophers and the poets mm. and the dervishes that that you know lived in that for a region yeah and, and amazing poets like Rumi like Hafiz like Firdosi like mm. there's you know there's yeah there's too many to count like amazing poets and and I am biased but I really think that the Farsi poetry is unmatched mm-hmm. um, yeah. Maybe I don't understand poetry in English, but I don't get the same feeling when I read Farsi poetry versus English. So what is your community and and your Hazara community of this young generation of, of your mates, right? Because you live in a share house with a bunch of them. Mm. And I remember you telling me a story how the neighbors have complimented you on your singing. Mm. <laughs> and I see in the Instagram stories that you guys would just get together and somebody with a guitar and maybe you're just sipping whiskey or something like that and, and you'd just be singing. Mm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the, um, yeah, the, because obviously the big community of Hazaras in Australia, um, that's that means that there is this young generation that are also, you know, kind of like calling Australia home, Melbourne home and being uh, raised here really. So, you know, doing whatever they're doing, whatever, in whatever profession they're in, I guess. Um, yes, and uh, it's very interesting because we often talk about this amongst me and my friends is that we've created this new culture now, right? It is a mixture of, of obviously being a Hazara and where we come from, our, our identity, right? Mm-hmm. And then having lived in Australia and, you know, for a while and being a teenager and obviously like, obviously like growing into adults and, you know, uh, and and it's fundamental years of your life where you're exposed to so much information, you're taking yeah. in, taking all it in and becoming who you become, your personality is mm-hmm. being shaped, right? So, and have, living the, having that lived experience together um, with each other has enabled us to create this new culture, which I, which I, this is the way I think about it, right? There's, there we are Hazara Australians living in Melbourne. And so if you got come hang out with us, you can clearly tell, okay, you, you know, these guys, you can, <laughs> This is, uh, you know, this is the Australian influence in here, <laughs> but you can see there's the Middle East in here, but you can also see that, you know, they've got some, you know, like the Asian in them in terms of, you know, who they are, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a mixture of so many different things, um, so many cultures. Yeah, and we love it, man. Like Melbourne is is, is home now. Uh, yeah, so just live with, uh, with one other Hazara mm-hmm. housemate, actually. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, yeah. But it's an amazing group of friends. Um, um, yeah, most of whom are, are same background as I am, and yeah, we love it. How about the singing? Oh yeah, so <laughs> a lot of good singers. So uh, my my friend group, uh, they a lot of them love music. Mm-hmm. They're big into the music, um, Eastern music. So mm-hmm. that would be you would have probably heard that in in, in India or in Pakistan when you traveled maybe. Do you guys jam? Harmonia. The harmonium. Yeah, Yeah. so harmonium. um, And there is a, there's a, 
instrument called dambura, which is two strings. It's like a guitar, but it has two strings only. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's a really uh, that's the sort of a very um, historical Hazara musical instrument. Mm-hmm. It's not just Hazaras. I've noticed that in a lot of other Central Asian countries, they also play the same instrument, mm-hmm. which which is fascinating for me. I'm like, okay, these <laughs> these are some trends that I'm yeah. realizing. Like, you know, it's why is it that all these group of people, they're being so distant from each other, have similar food, similar music yeah, instruments, mm-hmm. things like that. So it's that, and then, you know, obviously the Western instruments as well, like some of the boys have learned, like guitar and all that. So we get together, play music, they sing. Yeah, so it's, you hang out. Yeah, it's good. It's all right, we should visit for a jam yeah, session. Absolutely, you guys are welcome. Gerald's yes, uh, an amazing singer. And guitarist. There we go. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done. You guys should definitely come. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. hang out. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be lovely. And the concept that you've developed, we've actually spoken about it on the podcast with Kevin, with Kano, with mm-hmm. Rosie as well. It's your original culture that mm-hmm. comes from and is passed down from your parents, right? Mm-hmm. But there's another culture that is ever present. It's all around you and you're absorbing it in your everyday life, right? That Australian culture. And you're marrying that up together and it's become like a third culture for you. Yeah. Right? You've got your Hazara background. Mm-hmm. You've got this Aussiness in you mm-hmm. as well. And and it's just forming this beautiful, beautiful mix. Mm-hmm. So this this third culture. Yeah, absolutely. And especially it's different with you guys because you were born here mm. and, and and we came here as, as uh, you know, teenagers, right? True. So, so there, it's a bit of a difference. And the reason I say that is because I see the Hazaras that are born here is not the same. So mm. the culture that we have amongst me and my friends is very unique. Wow. In a way that's not even the same with the Hazaras right. that are born and raised here, even those that, are, that came here as children. That there's, there's a gap. There's, there's a connection. Is not. It's not necessarily the same. Like I, I was. I, I went to high school here. I went to uni, and I had friends from all different. All you know, so many different cultures and backgrounds. But I think this connection, always kind of like, is, is is a lot easier for me to make with the guys that I've had similar experiences of with course, me. Yeah. And and I think it's it's probably the same for a lot of people where the cultural kind of, uh, you know, the similar ha- culture uh, kind of bring bring you together. But yeah, so I think it's it's the mixture of your own culture, but then you're obviously living in a, in, in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's beautiful um, parts of Aussie culture that we have adapted to and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and we love it because, um, because it's, it's now who we are. Right, so yeah. that's yeah, Hazara Shellen. Like when we, when I was traveling around Southeast Asia with my group of friends, we all kind of like look similar, and you know, we dress similar, and we walk around, and we sound similar, and people are like, "You sound Aussie, but you don't sound Aussie." Like you say certain words in Australian accent, but certain words not, and you guys speak this random other language in the middle of it, and you all look the same, and <laughs> but you look like. You look from from obviously the Central Asia, but you guys are like so westernized in terms of your manners. Yeah. What's going on? Like people would really get confused as to where we are from. Yeah, nah, yeah, nah. Yeah, and then <laughs> and exactly to the, the the third culture bit, right? It's mm. the third culture. Is the there's a, there's a huge group of people that are creating these new cultures, yeah. and I think that it's fascinating. It would be fascinating to see the future of of Australian culture. 
how it evolves, right? Um, yeah. That's a question that I'm digging into these days. What does it mean to become or be an Australian? Mm -hmm. Because of this experience of being an Australian mm. is so different across this country of ours. Yeah. Right? Obviously, your First Nations communities, the original custodians of the land. And to live here for 60,000 years plus and then have just these boats come mm -hmm. filled with white men mm -hmm. bringing their clothes and their weapons and their diseases and just feeling that sense of ownership just being taken away and, and being oppressed and killed and, and the walls, right? And then many waves of migration afterwards. There's been Afghan people in in Australia. Have you heard of the Kamaliers? The Kamaliers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What year were they here? This they would have been here in the early 1900s, I think, if I'm not mistaken, mid 1900s. Yeah. So my understanding was that the British brought over Afghan Kamaliers with their camels right. over to mm -hmm. support discovery of Australia because of yeah. the land was so vast mm. yeah. to take. I don't know. I'm assuming taking their horses and things yeah, so wouldn't what, have done so. Please. So I know a bit of about the history of it because being from Afghanistan, obviously, originally. The so they built the the Gan, which is the railway that connects Adelaide to Darwin. Uh -huh. It's called the Gan after the name Afghan, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is during a time where British colonization was taking place around the world, including Indian subcontinent, including. Pakistan and they were they there was wars in Afghanistan going on as well so they had control over parts of Afghanistan yeah. which meant they brought these these uh, men with their camels as essentially slaves mm. to to Australia to build to basically help um, you know British build the railway um, and you know because they you know you can imagine the desert in within Australia, you know, camels would be the best animals to be able to travel that distance because their horses wasn't weren't were, couldn't actually travel the same mm -hmm. distance. So the camels was a, um, would would help them a lot with that. So they got these people to build that, and then some of those camels actually remained here, um, and and because of the uh, you know the racism that were happening back then, you know, they weren't allowed to. Um, you know, there was inter there's no interracial marriage allowed yeah. or anything like that. So the only and there were no women that were brought. So yeah. there was all men. Mm -hmm. So they only got um, uh, assimilated into the indigenous culture. So there is a lot of indigenous people with Afghan blood. Wow! Wow! Yeah, um, you know, I've, I've actually met some indigenous Afghans. Wow! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they, you know, they're far. It's just so funny. So their name is James. They're like, oh yeah, I'm James. My dad was David, and then my grandfather was Musa or Muhammad, <laughs> or you know. And, <laughs> yeah, wow, incredible. But yeah. what's their story like? Yeah. The oh. I've never had an opportunity to actually like sit down and have a deep conversation with with an indigenous Afghan. I encourage you guys to find some and have we have must. him on the podcast. Yeah, but but yeah, I think it's. Uh, there's, there's some interesting documentaries about this. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. You guys can dig around for it. Yeah. Um, because this is 150 years ago, so it's like th this 
second mm. second or even third generation so uh-huh. i think that identity is quite significantly lost mm. unless you can find you know all the all the people maybe yeah. like they probably would still remember their grandfather for example that was they would only speak you know the you know the whatever dialect of afghanistan they spoke or yeah. you know still praying because they were all muslim devoted mm-hmm. muslims there was there's a mosque in adelaide so australia's oldest mosque that was built by the kamalis wow and it's important to note that these weren't only people from afghanistan there were also a lot of indian kamalis mm-hmm. as well yeah unfortunately not they're not really talked about as much mm. um but yeah, so these yeah, there was Afghans um, <coughs> surely amongst amongst them. So yeah, Australia has a very long history yeah. with Afghanistan. Yeah, um, yeah, they would have most likely belonged to the other ethnic groups in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. not Hazaras. Yeah, yeah, uh, just because we didn't deal with camels, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and so we're talking about the the Australian identity, mm. right? And the Afghan Kamalias who would come mm. here, or the Chinese people that came here during the gold rush, right? And you go to Bendigo and there's (laughs) just Chinese culture everywhere. (laughs) Absolutely. Right? And it's it's so beautiful and incredible. But then you go all the way to, I don't know, Outback Australia or you go to Broome. Yeah. I've not been there, but all the way northwest, right? What's the experience of a person there? What does it mean to be Australian person for that person? Because mm. mm. we're here in Melbourne, we've got this melting pot of cultures and identity, mm. and it's a beautiful mix. And you can go eat any cuisine you want mm. anywhere, right? Or you can go to Cairns or Cape Tribulation with it's just so remote yes. as well. What does it mean to be an Australian for them? Yeah, it's probably <laughs> significantly different just because of the facts that you just mentioned, right? Like, I go camping a lot and, you know, you just, I like off-roading and so that means rural, yeah. Victoria, mm. rural Australia and, and that just witnessing the culture there and then you're coming to a place like Footscray and witnessing the culture here is, mm-hmm. is, is vastly different. Um, and I think it's just harnessing the, the those differences and I think it's just, finding you know obviously because it's they're all beautiful and just i mean if you're just f- focusing on the beauties of, of mm-hmm. it all and that the fact that we are able to all you know be so different but at the same time identify as one mm-hmm. i think that's beautiful this is something that places like afghanistan unfortunately don't have which is why those mm-hmm. stuff happens right you know where the it, people don't don't get along for some yeah. reason and i think um yeah, so it's it's amazing to see that in Australia, for the most part, uh, you know, people do feel welcomed and, and, and are appreciated, regardless of what background or ethnicities or heritage they come from. Mm. Um, yeah, but they, again, like the question I have for you is that how do you how do you see all of this evolve in terms of the Australian culture, like? Do you see? Do you think we're going in the right direction, or, or or otherwise? I think we're at a very we're at a junction. Mm-hmm. I feel we have the opportunity to progress and heal because the history of this country started through colonization, and a big a, a part of our population feels like 
have lost all sovereignty, mm. right? The indigenous and the First Nations community make up 4% of our population. They were here first, but all they want to do is they want to change a date, right? That's one issue. We've got Australia Day, which is on the 26th of January each mm. year, and that's the day that the first fleet landed into Botany Bay, marking the start of the invasion for that community. And for it to be called Australia Day, when our first Australians felt that that was the start of their oppression, mm. why don't we just move it, right? Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big deal for them. Yeah. But for the rest of us, it's like, all right, yeah, it's yeah, a day. What's the big deal in with moving the date? Like, what's the big deal? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, just move it to the day after, yeah. <laughs> and that would. Yeah, especially knowing that it was on a Thursday, I'm like, make it Friday so I have a long weekend. You know? <laughs> <laughs> True, <laughs> but things like this is blocking us from forming a united Australian identity. Mm. I feel because. Mm -hmm. This is a song. We are one, but we are many, right? And and that song feels like we're all one Australian, but we can't yeah. do that until we all are on a similar journey. So mm -hmm. I think we're making great strides mm -hmm. and steps forward. But mm -hmm. I guess our relationship with our First Nations is it feels like we're stuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it yeah, that's that's such a good point. And on top of that, I think it's also the 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 hardship and the experiences that indigenous people actually still have in in Australia to this day mm. when you really think about that it's really sad right like I was watching um, a debate on ABC the other day uh, you know I think Q and A um, mm. and there was an indigenous person there speaking about about these government policies that uh, uh, that have been around you know uh, uh, you know, especially on imposing policies on indigenous people for generations. It was really interesting point of view. She was saying COVID was the first time that general Australians really felt the Australian government imposing a policy, right? Mm -hmm. Indigenous people have been experiencing that for generations, right? This mm -hmm. is, uh, and it made me, like, it was really awakening for me. I'm like, okay, so think about the fact, think about, being from, you know, the indigenous community where all these policies are being imposed on you, whether, you know, obviously to, whether they're good or bad policies are different conversations have, mm -hmm. but it's just to, why do they have to, to, to go through all this? Well, while, mm. while they were just here for thousands of years, you know, uh, living sustainable life uh, and, you know, and, 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 and now, you know, they have to go through all this, which is all brought with the, with everyone else that came here afterwards, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, I, I, I honestly, I know the problem. Obviously, the problem exists, but in terms of fixing and healing and the, and all that, I think we we need to start. You know, you start somewhere, I guess. You know, and the day would probably be a good, good damn start. Yeah, yeah. it would be a good start. But yeah, it's these are the big questions where. It, it's so hard to answer the big philosophical questions, mm -hmm. right? Because Australia was here before we, all of us got here mm. and it will continue to exist well after we're gone, 
mm-hmm. as well. So do you have anything Depends to add? In- no, I, I, I'm just thinking about that. Like, <laughs> I don't know where to start, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's such a huge, I, I guess, big task to, to do. And like, I'm I'm just a, a man that's like, even struggling to survive as well sometimes. So mm. it's kind of like, how do I, where do I start? You know, mm. do I start with myself or how do I put an impact to the community as well? How can I just yeah. make a difference in a little mm. way? So these conversations like this, right? Yeah. So, so the the fact that we three of us from you know, you know, being one and many, because <laughs> being many, right, from different cultures living yeah. in Australia, you know, sitting down and talking about these, right? exactly. Yeah, I think that's that in itself is is making a difference. Mm. Like you are, as opposed to just getting on, getting on with their, you know, I don't know the daily lives, yeah. you know, dealing with whatever we are dealing with. I think this is. This is a contribution. Yeah. Like, if everyone talks about this stuff and you know, it tries to educate people yeah. that, that that don't necessarily know or even understand or feel, and I think we still slowly make a change and make a difference for sure. Is there ways that we can, you know, people listening? What what can they do? What's something small, right? Apart from these conversations, is there any ideas? I would bring a curiosity yeah. to different stories and especially people who are different from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yes. there is there's a question that might offend people, but the question is, where are you from? Mm. All right. Some people take that in an offensive manner, mm-hmm. but the people who are asking sometimes ask it in the wrong tone or the wrong right. manner yeah. as well. Hey, where are you from? and it's like oh i'm born in australia i'm from here what are you talking about but they're they're asking i'm from carlton (laughs) what's your background where are your family from yeah yeah. so the question i always ask these days is where are your family from yeah right and i was just walking to the train station to work the other day and an old guy comes to me and is like hey do you know where the bus station was he lost his wallet Mm. and had to go and retrieve it at the bus depot and so I pointed in the, in the redirect direction and he was an older gentleman, 65, 70, yeah. around there. And, and the question I asked him is, after pointing him, he's like, yeah, come with me, I'll show you. Yeah. I said, where is your family from? And immediately he said, ah, I'm from Malta. I've been here for 50 years now. And I left when I was 21 looking for mm. new opportunities and things like that. And by asking that question, by allowing space to really hear what the other person is saying i think you you can make a difference by allowing people to make themselves feel heard feel seen and to be able to share fully yeah but remember to really listen if you're going to ask these questions Mm. if you're going to really open up their book yeah Yeah. for example yeah exactly and don't assume things as well a lot of the time like that's what i've i've realized is that especially from coming from where I've come from like in terms of our background and you know having lived in Afghanistan or uh, or, be, or being from there you you don't want to assume that you know things uh, you know right. automatically when you hear the name for example so yeah. so you know if someone is from a certain part of the world what do you what do you know you know you I think it's like being mindful that that 
might not be right or, or yeah. true or my you know it, and it might not be reflective of that person that you're talking to um and i think it's it's that as well so you know don't make assumption before you before you before you're here yeah um if especially if you're asking questions or you know having a conversation um but yeah cool what are your thoughts cool. on the three questions you want to Get that in. Do you want three questions? Are you ready for three questions? Okay. No beats. It's just three simple questions, man. Take your time. Come on. Answer as long as you want. (laughs) First question. What are you grateful for? What am I what am I grateful for? For having a beautiful family Mm. and amazing friends. Amazing. What have you realized? What have I realized? I've realized that that life is all about love. Mm. Is that is that is that famous Rumi saying? Is that that uh, heart? Your heart knows the way. Follow in that direction, mm. right? Is that your heart is always 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 about love, right? Um, so that's what I that's what I have, have I guess realized if yeah. the way you know if I can answer that question in, in that of course in a short sentence yeah final question what is a question you ask yourself what is a question I ask myself um, oh tricky one I don't know. <laughs> well, depends on a, on a, on the day I guess <laughs> uh, Yes, uh, I guess you know if it's uh, generally like the you know when I'm thinking to myself, I guess is that what am I really passionate about? Mm. Like, I think it's a question that a lot of people still deal with, yeah. and it's not an easy is easy answer to get to, um, just because you know you, it's not easy to find your passion, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know. There's a lot of things I do and I love doing it, but I th- think I still probably fully don't understand what you know. I, I know that I'm here to make a difference, yeah, but I don't know what that difference yeah. is yet and how that. I don't. I, I'm not able to fully envision that. So mm. I think often I ask myself that question, still trying to find that yeah, answer. Of course. Thank you so much, Hash. This was a beautiful conversation and Thanks for having me, man. very thoughtful. Nah, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Really. Nah, appreciate it's it. It's amazing. Appreciate it, guys. Thank awesome you so much stuff. for having me. Thank you for, for coming on. And you know, we look Pleasure. forward to seeing what changes we can make Absolutely. in society. Mm-hmm. So cool. cool. Thanks right. for listening. And always stay safe. Always take care. And always get up. Peace.